Yeah, it's funny you bring up VR. I, I was going to bring it up myself because we, I just go to E3 every year and every year VR was the new technology, which is funny because it can't be the new technology every year. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's some level it's established. <laughs> Welcome to Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcheson. With me, as always, is my co-host, Adam Simon. Adam, how's it going? Doing great. I am super glad to hear it. Well, on this week's episode of Floor 9 in our main conversation, we are talking to Alan Schoff, the CEO of Imager, and Jake Tapplesheh, the head of creative, all about meme culture. Uh, this is a really fun episode, and if you've ever been online uh, and or have been communicating with your friends and families through images, uh, this episode is definitely for, for you. Uh, but before that, as a reminder all to all of our listeners, the Floor 9 Referral Program is now live. You can sign up for your custom referral link at refer.fm forward slash floor9. Once you're there, uh, your personal referral link will be available and live to you. You can share that with all your friends, family, especially anybody that would be interested in meme culture. Uh, because again, this episode is going to be uh, super relevant for, for that. And then once you get three referrals, you get yourself a very limited edition custom Floor 9 t-shirt. Uh, so definitely go check that out. And thank you for uh, sharing the show. So, Adam, are you ready to dive into the news of this week? Let's do it. All right. First up, we have some news from Facebook. Uh, Facebook has attempted their first Clubhouse competitor with a Q&A platform called Hotline. So unlike Clubhouse, that is an audio-only uh, social experience, this one includes video and is more, I would say, giving control to the actual host of the room uh, because they can essentially not allow anybody on stage. People have to raise their hand. Uh, people can ask questions through text messages. Uh, so it seems like there's a bit more control in the actual broadcaster or the, or the creator or the host of the room uh, than say like that more casual, just kind of jump in and listen to the uh, audio conversation that has been pretty prominent in, in Clubhouse. It's a Facebook take on Clubhouse. I like the name. I think it's a great name for the, a product like this. But uh, I don't think it fundamentally changes our skepticism of Facebook in this space. Uh, you know, I'm sure we some folks will find good use cases for this product uh, natively on Facebook's platform. Makes a lot of sense with Facebook groups, I think. Um, but I don't think it's going to sort of attract folks from either Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces or or even Spotify's new product. Uh, you know, when they do sort of integrate locker room, I think you know we're we're remain more bullish on those uh, in the long run. Why do you think that is? Just because Facebook in itself doesn't seem like the environment for it? Well, I think it makes sense for groups because groups are where the engagement is on Facebook at this point. Uh, the Facebook feed is just not where people are hanging out, spending time. Um, A barren wasteland. Yeah, it's it's just, uh, it's it's not... It, it is certainly not the kind of place where I think you would see, you know, somebody you went to high school with and be like, oh, I want to jump into their hotline right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, uh, I, I think within groups, it makes sense. It's a different social context. There might be uh, there might be a use case there. Um, but it's, you know, Facebook doesn't have. Uh, there are influencers on Facebook and and uh, you know folks who who have followings on Facebook, but these days they tend to really do that inside of groups, which is you know again why I think it that is where this will have an impact. Um, if it if they are intending it for more public consumption, it seems like you know maybe eventually this will get inst integrated into Instagram as well, uh, and you know we'll see something like that um, 
for more public consumption. I do like their idea of like having questions supplied via text and then having the community vote on that because sometimes you go into like you go into a clubhouse room and there's a thousand people and you're not going to get on stage or be able to ask a question in that environment, right? It's more of right. like you sit there to listen. So like that community aspect is pretty interesting. Um, but again, I don't know if that's going to be something that Twitter, Clubhouse, Spotify can easily build uh, and copy if they see you know traction with that sort of functionality or interest from the users themselves. But speaking of Clubhouse, it seems like there were rumors that Twitter was going to buy Clubhouse <laughs> for about $4 billion, which is a pretty yeah. quick acceleration. Yeah, man. From... <laughs> uh, I have a lot of questions for why Clubhouse didn't sell for $4 billion. Uh, that seems like a pretty sweet offer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I honestly, uh, I, I, I think they should have taken that exit. I, th- I don't know that they're going to do uh, better than that, really. Uh, you know, with between Twitter and, and Spotify coming for them, uh, I think that would have been a good a good thing yeah well you know speaking of clubhouse you know not taking that deal or who knows how it broke down i think why they didn't take that deal adam is because they've introduced payments now right it's a new feature that allows uh individuals to send money to the creators so kind of tipping a la what we see on on twitch uh and so potentially they see a bigger prize out of the you know current development of the clubhouse uh and how they're looking to monetize the entire platform um well this so maybe this is uh, not a monetization strategy for clubhouse clubhouse takes zero percent of those tips <laughs> so uh, they're well. passing them straight on to the creators which is the right thing to do in this case they have they have their vc money they don't need the cash immediately um but uh, they do need a creator ecosystem they do need people to choose clubhouse to uh to host their their content as opposed to locker room or or twitter right so uh i think that all that all makes sense uh it, it is interesting in that it kind of is skirting uh app store rules uh from apple and google and uh there were some questions as to if that would be allowed they might be sort of looking the other way because their clubhouse is not taking a cut but technically it is still violating those rules so i'm just i have a lot of questions as to like is this going to be allowed to continue um you know, with with Twitch, a lot of that is set up on the web and not through the mobile app, which is how they get around it. But uh, yeah, well, a lot of a lot of questions. In in other news, uh, we have some updates from Epic Games and their acquisition of House Party. Uh, Epic is now allowing gamers to live stream f- their Fortnite gameplay directly into House Party and to share that gameplay with up to nine friends within the House Party app. I think this is pretty interesting. I'm wondering what the real benefit here is for for House Party. It seems like it's more of like a Fortnite thing to maybe engage with, you know, if you're a creator or if you like to play video games, you can have your friends kind of peer into your, you know, virtual world and, and environment and kind of grow that social aspect that way. So Epic Games can kind of draw in those that might not play, but want to like view uh their friends or whoever it might be play playing in actual Fortnite. yeah i mean i think this is less about house party and more about uh shoring up Fortnite as a social space uh Fortnite is a place that people go to hang out uh it is you know the the game is the thing that you do while you're hanging out but people go to Fortnite to hang out with their friends and this gives you a way to hang out with those friends without needing to be in game that could be because you can't dedicate your full attention to the game uh, because being in in game you kind of have to be 
you know, paying full attention to what you're doing in order to <laughs> to not get killed and to right. sort of participate. You can't really just you can't be doing it sort of casually while you're you're working or doing something else. Um, it, it is a as a social platform, it is a stumbling block because we know that you know Facebook and Twitter and and Snapchat they're great for those in between moments, like you're waiting at the uh, dentist's office. Uh, you could jump into Fortnite while you're waiting at the dentist's office, but uh, it's a little a little harder. Uh, this gives you the opportunity to say, hey, I can duck in and chat with my friends and see what they're doing and talk to them for, you know, two minutes. It's not – you can get get in and out very quickly, basically. Um, and I think that it just will expand the use cases of the, of Fortnite as a – as a social network. And, uh, you know, this is something that we, we talked about, uh, when we talk about the metaverse is that the metaverse will be accessible in lots of different ways. And this is kind of like, it's kind of like a window into the metaverse. So you, you're not participating 100%. You're not interacting necessarily. Um, but you can sort of peek in and see what's going on. And, the other place where that's useful is in things like live events, which uh, Fortnite has been sort of building up their live events business. Uh, it Again, it will expand accessibility of those live events to people and contexts that were that could not engage with it before. And frankly, that we're often watching those live events on, on Twitch or uh, or YouTube. So this gives, you know, Epic uh, and Fortnite a, a sort of owned platform to make that easily accessible. Now, do you think this is in any way competitive with like... Facebook gaming, YouTube gaming, Twitch in any way? I, I do not think so. I think, you know, maybe at the extreme end of the tail, of the long tail of people <laughs> who were really only ever streaming to their, you know, five friends, maybe. Right. Um, but I, it's not, you're not going to build an audience on House Party in the way that you do on Twitch. Uh, it's not built for that. It's not meant for that. Uh, this is more about those. It's like it's the metaverse equivalent of your group chat, right? Uh, and and, yeah. and mm. I think this is uh, which is good because it's very it's very sticky. It's very high engagement. You care a lot about that, and this is giving you a way to access that in a less immersive way which gives allows you to do it in more places at more times. Well, that's going to wrap up the news uh, for, for this week. We're going to head into the main conversation to speak with Alan and Jake from Imager all about meme culture. Welcome to our main conversation. Today, we have this pleasure of speaking with Alan Schoff, the CEO of Imager, and Jake Tapleshe, the head of creative from Imager. So Alan and Jake, welcome to Floor 9. Well, thank you. It's so great to be here. Thanks. Oh, we are super excited to have both of you here. But before we dive into this episode, just uh, Jake and Alan, how about a little background on yourselves and Imager? Uh, you know, what do both of you do? Uh, and maybe even how did Imager come about? I think that'd be interesting for our listeners to to know about. Sure. I'll go first just because I probably have less cool things about me than Alan. <laughs> I started off um, doing creative direction at, at BuzzFeed, making quizzes and videos, um, did more editorial work at IGN after that. So focused on video games. Um, then I did some classic ad stuff at Walmart um, in a shift shift of career. And now I'm sort of happily making memes at, at Imgur, really excited about it. <laughs> and I founded Imgur in 2009 in college, uh, where I was studying computer science. And I, I founded Imgur after the initial problem of it being too annoying to share an image, uh, you know, with your friends online. Um, but since then, you know, Imgur is now a community-powered entertainment destination to make people smile and brighten their day by surfacing the most humorous, 
enlightening and inspiring content from all across the internet. So, you know, today we reach over 70 million people in the United States each month. And our vision is to lift world spirits through our community powered content. And, you know, over the years, Imager has become the epicenter of memes online and it's often where they start spreading. So in fact, if you visit Imager today, then you'll be seeing the viral memes of tomorrow. One reason, <laughs> you know, one reason for that is that Imager is a shared experience where everyone sees the same content and our users vote on the content and the best stuff rises to the top. It's almost like a massive internet focus group all determining what memes are the best. <laughs> I would I would have to agree. Uh, you know, it, like I said, definitely this is like the hub of memes on on the internet. Uh, and it, it's so funny that you created this to share pictures online. Uh, and today, I think that is memes and these photos that we share online have become a, a staple of how we communicate online. In your opinion, what is a meme? You may think of a meme as just an image with a catchphrase or a witty line written on top of the image, but actually memes can refer to any idea or behavior that is spread through the internet. And so put simply, it's just something that is passed around on the internet from person to person, especially by imitation and often by humor. Uh, and memes spread through social networks, apps, blogs, forums, email, news, or really any place on the internet. And it's an idea that functions in the mind the same way a gene or a virus functions in the body. It's an infectious idea, right? Call it a viral meme. Uh, <laughs> they leap from mind to mind, much as viruses leap from body to body. That was an excellent description of, of, how, of what they are and how they work. Um, I guess, you know, the only thing that I would add is that I think that and maybe this is something that has, has changed in recent years, um, but that it's also, it's, it's kind of participatory, right? So there, there is that layer of like remixing and sort of adding your own spin on what's happening. I think you, you can definitely have a meme that is just an image that doesn't change and that gets passed around or an idea that doesn't change and gets passed around. But I think often we think about them as participatory where you're using templates that the internet kind of collectively standardizes around. Um, <laughs> so thinking about that, what are they good at doing? It seems like for us, this is how the internet is talking to one another. Um, I don't know about you, like you guys here, but I have four or five meme chats where I just send pictures back, back and forth. Um, so, you know, Alan, I'm curious to hear from you. It's like, you know, what are your thoughts on like, what are memes good at delivering um, or communicating? So memes are good at communicating a message. Whether it's something to raise awareness, uh, such as the ice bucket challenge, for example, um, which I think is uh, one of my favorite memes of all time. And we don't often think of the ice bucket challenge as a meme, uh, but it was. Um, it was a meme under the definition that we were talking about of an infectious idea uh, that spreads from person to person. And... Um, you know, in 2014, uh, the internet went crazy with the idea of dumping a bucket of ice water on your head in order to <laughs> spread awareness and raise donations for ALS. And so that meme was enormously successful at spreading that message um, and raising awareness. Uh, it, it was actually reported that donations from the Ice Bucket Challenge enabled the ALS Association to increase its annual funding by 187%. And of course, during that time, you know, ALS researchers, they made scientific advances, uh, care for people living with ALS expanded, 
and investment in disease research from the federal government grew. And in total, there was $115 million in donations raised because of it. And so, you know, whether it's something to raise awareness uh, such as that, um, it takes only a, a few moments to find a meme that perfectly expresses like how you feel. And there are other memes uh, that are, you know, the socially awkward penguin. Um, Classic. Where, where that meme has been around for at least a decade at this point. And it all it does is convey a simple message of something that awkward that has happened to you. And so uh, that's what I think that memes are particularly good at, is that form of communication, raising awareness, uh, spreading a message, conveying a conveying something that is otherwise, you know, difficult to do in, uh, you know, uh, less than like a thousand words sometimes. Yeah, I think also going back to the socially awkward penguin, it, it hits sort of how the Imgur community specifically does so well with memes because you see it on Imgur all the time. You know, I'm often, you know, tasked to think about, you know, what's trending on Imgur? What's going on? How do we how do we adjust these things? And I'll bring these sort of classics back because, you know, it's not necessarily the image of this penguin, you know, looking one way with a blue background, looking the other way with a red background. It's that people are conveying sort of a story to the community that that they they would like to communicate, um, and in that way, I think that there's like sort of a lot of power. Yeah, I think it's a great way to signal not only you know what you are trying to communicate with the point of the meme, but I think also people f- very frequently use them to signal membership in a group or insider knowledge, right? Like it, it's signaling to other people, even if they you know whatever you have to say about whatever the, the meme is saying, it also is signaling, I know what this thing is and I know how to use it. And I, um, you know, sort of know what the, the reference is, where the original is from. Uh, maybe, you know, as they, they go on and the older they get, you don't necessarily actually need to know where they came from. Um, but in, in the early days, it's about sort of knowing the source material and, and understanding that as well. So um, I think it's an interesting, like, social signal of, like, people who are sort of paying attention to the same things in culture and, like, in the same... Uh, the same communities and the same conversation channels that like they, you know, you sort of have common touch points. It's a, it's a way of sort of socially signaling that way as well, which I think is uh, increasingly makes it very, I think sometimes a little opaque if you are not part of those communities as to where, you know, where these, uh, these things come from. I see, um, you know, folks referencing, you know, oh, I took, uh, you know, a week off from social media and I came back and I had no idea what anybody was talking about because <laughs> the conversations just get, you know, if you're not really paying attention to what's happening for a while and you come back, you're like, you might not, you know, it's, we've moved past the boat in the Suez Canal and we're <laughs> on to something else. And like, you, you just don't, you don't know who the main character of the day is. And it's, uh, it's a little, it's interesting how fast that culture moves. And I think it, it memes are a way to signal I'm part of those conversations too, in kind of a public way. What what I'm interested in kind of just like thinking about is, I guess like how memes are a response to, to your point, like a culture and what's happening in today. I mentioned that I was a big fan of, you know, GameStop memes. Adam, you mentioned the Suez Boat Canal memes. Like those just kind of popped up and there was a flood of people making content around those events and so it seems like to me like this is a way in which people are able to capture just some of like the ridiculousness that happens in in life but through like an image 
um, because it seems like day every day that there's something new that's hard to just like to describe through a text, right? That like there's a boat stuck in a canal isn't as powerful as a meme of seeing a massive thousand foot ship sideways in a canal with a bunch of boxes on it and somebody saying, oh, look, you know, we live in a simulation because there is a uh, among us outline in the actual containers on on the ship um so to me it seems like they're like they're like they're trying to make sense of this world around us that is so complicated that is kind of how i'm viewing i guess memes as a reaction to like current events and even culture itself to that point scott i I just wanted to say i I challenge anybody listening to try to describe a meme to somebody without showing it (laughs) (laughs) it's literally impossible i've done it before and you immediately feel dumb and like almost like old somehow <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know what i mean yeah and so it's i think like, that really, it really goes to that either they've seen it and they they're they're like oh yes i know exactly what you're talking about but if they haven't they're like what mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i'll definitely not try and describe the battle of plenty of our fields then on on the on the show as it relates to the gme stock price but that's interesting, right? Because we have like these moments that are like super hot and there's, there's a lot of volume of content and production around memes. And that might, you know, last a week or a couple of days, but the templates last longer. When we think of the shelf life of, of a meme, like, is there any way to really determine how long it's going to last? I'd say that generally memes are either evergreen, such as the socially awkward penguin that has been around for you know at least a decade, um, or they're quick moments in time such as the Suez boat memes or Bernie's mittens. Um, and the what the Suez boat uh, just got unstuck like a day or two ago. And I already think that that meme time has <laughs> passed. Um, I think that we're going to see, start seeing another wave of memes from another event. Um, and so, you know, they, they do have the ability to gain momentum quickly and in large part their collaborative uh, humor that anyone can be a part of. Um, so some of them have a short... Uh, shelf life, um, but ones that are relatable and adaptable can also have longevity. I would agree, Virgin, to say most memes don't necessarily have a shelf life. I think they can come back and it's hard to know why they come back. It has more to do with people using a format to create something that's like an emotion that's relatable. So the emotion that's relatable doesn't go away. They're just using different formats of images to showcase it. Um, I do think that memes, particularly the more timely ones, so um, GameStop is probably one, Bernie is one, Suez is one. I think NFTs are probably one. Um, they come, they're a moment that's in the news and so they're popular broadly. Um, and then they they reach sort of a peak level of exposure that starts to create meta memes. So it's memes about how many memes there are about a thing. And I think that like <laughs> that can happen. And once that happens, then I think the memes die pretty quickly because people are like, oh, this isn't cool anymore. So let's stop talking about it. Um, but generally speaking, I think most things that reach that popularity, like, can be brought back if you know the right mixture of time and interest comes in. I like to think of it a little bit like 80s slang. Like, okay. It can come back. It may not come back, but like it's always in the background. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think there there is because there is this social signaling that is part of it, when you you do see a meme surfaced after years of not seeing it and you recognize it, it does have a nice like, ah, remember that? Simpler times kind of feeling. <laughs> Yes, there's nostalgia baked in. What's interesting, though, is that a lot of times it's framed in the sense that this is something like that happens online on digital communities and platforms in DM groups. But there's 
now, especially in 2021, we've seen like real world impact of memes on corporations, companies. Uh, Alan, to your point with the ALS bucket challenge, like that drove real world dollars. Um, so I'm just interested to kind of just think about like, you know, how are we seeing memes really impact real world events? And to me, the most relevant example that, that we have today is Tesla and Elon Musk. It's like they're both a meme and a company and together by producing more memes, they they in turn pump up themselves and their company and like overall like their financial goals or or profits. I don't know. It, it's like a I don't I, I've never seen anything like it before. It, it makes it's it's hard to comprehend. I think um, because memes ha- like combine that that entertainment value with the communication, I think that they're just very very good tools to use to amplify. Um, broadly speaking, I think memes are a way to make sense of world events. I don't think that memes very oftentimes are the event, although for instance. Bernie's mittens was an event like that would not have been news unless it was a meme. So sometimes they reach there, but I think because of that, because they're so um, accessible, they can be used to bolster up, you know, maybe um, you know politics in a way that that is uh, difficult or or you know what have you. My favorite recent example of a meme having a real impact on the real world is when the Vietnam National Institute of Occupational Environmental Health. Um, reached out to a popular Vietnamese music artist to release a song called Gen Covid. Have you guys uh, seen that before? I have not, but I am you know. excited on this journey you're taking us. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so it's a PSA to teach young people in Vietnam how to thoroughly wash their hands during the pandemic. And they also reached out uh, and got a popular dancer in Vietnam to choreograph the moves to go with the lyrics and it sparked, uh, very intentionally sparked the Genkovi TikTok challenge. And it turned into this viral dance among young people in Vietnam. And I just thought it was such a creative way to spread awareness and pass down the correct information to young Vietnamese people. And as of this week, Vietnam only has 2,500 total cases of COVID-19 which is clearly incredible. And they've been one of the most successful countries in the whole world at preventing the spread of COVID. And so that meme has literally saved lives and helped prevent the spread of COVID. And the song has almost 80 million views on YouTube right now. And it's absolutely fire. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that meme uh, was intentionally created by Vietnam to intentionally spread the right information that saved lives. And I can't think of a, a better example of a meme having such a important impact on the world. Yeah, I will say it, that's very true, but it doesn't come without its challenges. Memes aren't, it's not easy to make a meme become a meme. Um, so I think that the mixture of sort of timeliness, promotion, um, a fire song yeah. <laughs> um, are all very helpful. But, you know, I've, you know, for my whole career, I tried to figure out like what's the recipe and it's always different. Um, which makes it exciting, but also like it is, it is a challenging format. Well, I'm curious then Jake, like, like what, like what have you found does work well? Yeah. So I would say you really want to look at memes as sort of a risk evaluation in a lot of ways. <laughs> okay. Um, so <laughs> some memes, some, some people, some products, some brands can easily fit into, you know, a meme format and it looks authentic and it looks interesting. Um, and it's already a part of a conversation and, and you've nailed it and it's great. Um, that is rare, but it has happened. I would say the majority of people who are creating memes look at quantity, um, as well as quality, but really you want to put as much out there as you can, 
which can be challenging if you have sort of limitations in, you know, whatever flight dates or whatever you have. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I think the, the people, the brands and, you know, whatever campaigns that are using memes understand what their brand is authentically. They understand what people say about it, both good and bad, and they don't force a meme. So they don't see the, uh, you know, they don't see whatever meme and they say, oh, let's just figure out a way to put ourselves in there. They have done sort of the self-evaluation to know this is what people are talking about with me. And therefore, this is how I can iterate on this format in a way that's authentic that people will appreciate. Yeah. And along the lines of what Jake was just mentioning, I think a great example of a brand creating their own meme was in 1999 uh, when Budweiser started the WhatsApp commercials. <laughs> right. And that phrase, which I won't repeat again because it did not age well, <laughs> a pop culture phenomenon. Um, and a great meme. And so while it's it's possible that brands can create their own viral memes, I'd say in general, it's pretty rare. Uh, instead, I think that you should be thinking along the lines of how they can leverage existing memes in their marketing language, similar, similar to translating a message uh, into another language. Um, brands should be translating their messages into a way that the internet understands and can relate with. I'm just sitting here and thinking it's like every marketing department and every brand is going to need like one intern that just sits there and scrapes the internet for the latest meme formats and just like <laughs> put it on social and see what happens. Yes, but it should not be an intern. You should take that <laughs> seriously and pay that person uh, to, uh, to, to do that work because it's important, right? I'd also say as a person who spent sort of nine years as not the intern doing that. It's a very good point. Uh, I'm going to go back and edit out intern uh, and a, a, a paid CEO, you know, C-suite position. You know, the chief meme officer uh, is definitely needed in every organization. I was an intern before I wasn't an intern as well. So no, no offense taken. But um, I do think that having a company like Imgur or whatever you're working with who not only has teams scrolling the internet for everything for you, but also has like tools built. Like the tool of Imgur is amazing. It, it's it's not, everything on the homepage is not there because of a page view or because of a like or a cookie. It's there because other people have uploaded it. And like, that's the most valuable thing you could do if you're thinking about memes is to see like, what do people like? I mean, it goes back to what Alan said earlier, like this focus group thing. It's, it's a sort of a public focus group in a lot of ways. And if you know how to read the tea leaves, um, it can be a, a really helpful thing. Um, in the, um, I'm, I'm curious about those tea leaves. So does the team have any sort of like meme meter where you can see what is starting to trend that might be, you know, relevant for brands or just us as consumers to know about? So if we're trying to get those internet points that we can kind of hop on that trend early uh, and start crafting the dankest memes possible to ride that wave? Yeah, so this is actually a, a sort of a philosophical question I've had working with marketers for a while. Um, marketing is very data oriented and memes are, by the time we have the data, the meme is gone, if that makes sense. There's no secret sauce. There's no like, secret tool that will tell you this meme is coming right now. But there are people who have spent lots of time looking at these things. And I think that that time investment is really what you are you want to invest in for yourself, for your marketing. Um, it really is about like countlessly looking, constantly finding, slacking everybody and saying, you know, what about this? What about this? I mean, we have a um, program right now where we're working with McDonald's and it's going super well. And we're basically adapting their assets to just follow trends, look for memes. And my job right now is to look at the site 24-7 and just say, hey guys, 
what about this one? Should we try this one? So it is a, it's a lot of effort, but it pays off when we can sort of hit those right notes. Yeah, and Jake uh, just mentioned something fascinating, which uh, is when you do look at the data, it's already too late. And we've done that uh, where we have looked at Google Trends and compared it with our own internal like page view data. And you'll always see that the mean trends on Imgur and then elsewhere far before something like Google Trends is able to recognize it. And so that's when I think it comes back to that CEO, chief meme lord officer, you <laughs> is it's going to take somebody that has innate knowledge uh, and be able to identify these things. And when they see it, uh, they're going to know it. Yeah, I think it's increasingly important that there be folks at a high level, they're empowered to act quickly, because time is of the essence. And it is about sort of joining the cultural conversation while it's still happening, not hopping on, you can't hop up, wait for a bunch of approvals and hop on the train a week later, it's not going to work. Um, so I think it is about figuring out how to get people in the organization that are empowered and that are high enough up in the organization that they can take action quickly and sort of have that a wide berth to participate, knowing that sometimes it's it's not going to work or it might even backfire occasionally, uh, but that there is room for experimentation and, and participation because if you're showing up and trying being part of the conversation all the time, one or two times of it not working or or maybe turning out, you know, a little negative is okay because, you know, your your batting average is going up, hopefully. I think that's how we can help sort of enable this kind of participation with, uh, with internet culture. I was just going to say one, and this is a concrete piece of advice for any marketers that are thinking about doing this, um, is in the same way that we have brand style guides that are like typography and color, if you can figure out a social sort of style guide and tone and give that to a partner that's looking at this for you, it's a billion times easier to figure out this means going to work and this mean isn't. And oftentimes throughout the process of doing this sort of halfway, you realize, okay, now we understand what the brand wants for memes. Now we understand how they want to translate. Let's go for it. But if you had that at the start, you just have so much more time uh, for whoever you're working with to sort of adapt things for you and, and really hit those time, timely moments that are so important. I have one follow-up question to that. And just thinking about the formats themselves. Right. So as we start to see more and more technologies become more democratized and creating memes is easier and easier, right? We started with just 2D images with text on top. Now we're getting into GIFs. We're getting into video. Um, as we start to see, you know, technology in the AR space, the VR space, like, are we going to start to see like the formats evolve into those more 3D environments? Yeah, it'll, it'll absolutely continue to evolve. And we've seen this over the entire course of the internet where initially memes started as uh, ASCII art. Before the internet supported images, it was literally ASCII art. And then of course, memes went into images and then they went into GIFs. Uh, now we see a lot of video memes. Uh, we see a lot of TikTok memes of dance routines. Uh, and we, we are currently seeing VR memes. And so wherever people are and wherever they're communicating on the internet, we will see memes there. Well, Alan, with that summation right there, I think that is going to end this week's episode. Where can our listeners find you on the internet? Where's where's the best place for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, so uh, you can find me memeing around <laughs> on Imager, of course. Uh, my username on Imager is just Alan. Um, and uh, if any brands would like to contact us uh, for our help in uh, translating their messaging uh, into what the internet speaks... Uh, then they can reach out to us as well. And, and Jake will give us that information. Um, also, before I do that, um, 
anyone on Imgur who's creating cool stuff, um, we actually have a full creators program. This is that I'm going to plug right now, um, where we're basically looking to commission stuff for our advertisers. And honestly, making authentic content for advertisers is sometimes best done using creators. It's a little bit similar to influencers, except that Imgur has a no selfie policy. So it's really just all about what people are making. Um, so you can find me on Imgur at R-U-S-S-T-A-P-21. And you can just chat me and say, hey, I make cool stuff. I'd love to be a part of that directory. Um, if you're looking to reach out to us for any, any brands are looking, um, I'd go to imgerinc.com slash advertise. We have all the information about everything that we do. Um, it's spelled I-M-G-U-R-I-N-C.com slash the word advertise. Um, and we, we have a lot of info and, and we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to work with you. Fantastic. Well, we'll, we'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes as well, uh, for our listeners. And, uh, with that, Alan and Jake, thank you so much for joining us on floor nine. It was an absolute pleasure, uh, memeing out with the both of you. So, uh, thank you both. Yeah. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks guys.